Welcome to Bonjour Bitch. My name is Charlotte and I'm many things, but most importantly for this podcast, I am multicultural and sometimes a bitch. We're going to talk about everything from relationships to daily life, all from a multicultural point of view. Each week, I'll be accompanied by the most amazing guests to delve further into topics that really affect us all. You'd better get ready for it, bitches. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week of Bonjour Bitch. And today we are going to be discussing losing a loved one with the wonderful Nun Stannard. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. Awesome. Who is a fashion designer and blogger. Welcome, Nun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So let's get started. Tell me a little bit about where your family originates from. Mm -hmm. So I was born and raised in Thailand and I've only just moved to, well, it's complicated. I moved to London when I was 17 and I did four years of university here and then I moved back to Thailand after that and I've been living there for the past eight years and I've just come back like beginning of last year. Oh, wow. Whereabouts in Thailand are you from? In Bangkok. Yeah. You have a very... Did you go to an international school? Yes, I did. Because you have an international school <laughs> <Busted>. accent. <laughs> and what made you move to London initially and then come back? Initially, it's because uh, my high school, although international, it was a British school. So all the teachers were kind of always steering us to sort of like come to England to do uni. So that was what I did. Well, I studied film when I first came here. Okay. Yeah, and then, um, so my parents do film business in Thailand. So after I graduated here, it was sort of like, uh, this is another cultural thing. So for like Thai people, it feels like it's a mandatory, like you have to go home. Like there was no choice in the matter. Well, there was, but it didn't feel like there was. So I knew, okay, as soon as I graduated, a week later I was leaving. Like it was like that quick. Wow. Yeah. So the cultural mindset is you go home to work with your parents? Yes. Oh, wow. And that too, it almost feels like there's no choice in the matter. Did you want to go into the film industry? Oh, well, I thought I did because I grew up, you know, going to film sets with my parents and my dad's a film director, my mom's a producer. And so I've always been like, you know, involved in this. But then, you know, after I went back and then actually worked in it, I really quickly realized, oh, my God, this is not for me. What do I do? I've mapped my whole life around this. And two years later, I was like, you know what? I, I can't do this and this can't be the rest of my life. So I quit and I started doing fashion like immediately how did your parents take that my dad did not like it at <laughs> all because <laughs> he was always like really proud of his like tomboyish girl that wanted to be a director and so when I was like no I'm into fashion really he was really upset and he's like I can't help you you know with fashion I don't have connections I don't have the knowledge and I was like you don't have to like I'll find my own way but my mom was very supportive because my mom came from a similar background where her family wanted her to do medicine okay and then on the day where she was applying to uni she told them oh I'm applying for medicine but of course she went ahead and applied for film and then she came home she was like I got into film and they were like no you didn't so I think she sort of gets it that's tough though yeah but the thing is you're still in a creative a sort of environment mm -hmm. and you know I mean fashion 
does sort of have a place in film as well. You yeah, know? it does. Yeah, and costume design, for yeah. example, yeah. or something like that. So yeah. there is a p- potential future overlap, right? Yes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can give them hope. You yeah. can give them hope. <laughs> and so, what made you come back to London this time? My baby. Yeah, so I actually didn't think I was ever going to come back because I hated the weather, and in Thailand it's always like sunshine all year round. Um, and even when I was pregnant, I thought I was going to be, you know, raising my baby there and sending her to the same international school I went to. But as soon as I gave birth, it was like everything changed, like in an instant, and. My, I don't know, my thinking and everything—it all changed. Um, and I thought, you know, in in Thailand, it's it's difficult to get by if you're not like ultra rich. Your kid will have like no chance of going to like a very very good school, and they wouldn't know how to speak English and anything like that. And so I thought, you know, if we come here, at least like she can go to like a state school and sort of like go for free. And then the NHS is really good. And so I just thought. You know, we we stand a better chance here. And tell me a bit about your partner. How and when did you meet him? So we met um, in the first year of uni here in London. Um, he's actually British, so he's half English, half Japanese. But he was okay. yeah. But he looks very Japanese. So actually, when I met him, I thought he was full Japanese, and I thought. Like he didn't speak English, just because I know that's bad to assume, but like he had like the crazy big hair and he just looked really, really Japanese. But when he started speaking, he sounded like super English. But yeah, so we we started dating really quickly, and we've been together ever since. Like it's been like thirteen years. Wow. Yeah. So when you went back to Thailand after uni, did yeah. he follow you? Yeah, he came. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible and. Uh, Eight years out there, he learned Thai and everything, and now he speaks like really good Thai. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and have you ever? Has he ever put any pressure on you? Does he have still family in Japan? No. So um, he doesn't have any family in Japan. So his Japanese side are actually American. Oh, uh, okay. Fine. Yeah. 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 So he has family in the U.S. Fine. Yeah. So there's no pressure to ever go and live in Japan, for example. No. Okay. Good. Yeah. I mean, Japan is an amazing country. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But it's very different to London. It is very different. Yeah. Very different to Thailand too. Does he have a lot of Japanese culture within him, or no. none at all? No, none at all. Okay. I would say, like, when I really started getting to know him, I was like, wow, it's like I'm dating this Asian-looking guy that is actually very Caucasian on the inside. Like, he didn't have anything like he didn't have any knowledge of the Asian culture at all. So everything. I was showing him and exposing him to my Thai culture was mind blowing for him. So he obviously doesn't speak Japanese. No. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So you now have a beautiful little girl mm-hmm. named Lilac. Yes. I can see the tattoo on your shoulder. Yes. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you. And how has she changed your life? I used to, you know, obviously, like I, I had a fashion line. I actually just closed it like a month ago, um, because of her. And my fashion line was everything to me. I wanted it to, I don't know, dominate Instagram. I wanted it to be everything, and I put all my heart and soul into that. And then as soon as you know I gave birth again, it was like an instant change. All of a sudden, I'm like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be this businesswoman. I don't want my brand. I don't need it to dominate Instagram. Like I just want to be a good mother to my baby, and I just want to be just very present to her. 
yeah, I decided to quit. <laughs> well, I'm going to do something else. Well, I'm going to actually, I've never said this online anywhere, but I'm going to start like a vintage store instead. <gasps> Ooh, exclusive. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Where, when. It's going to be on Instagram again because that's my platform. I know yeah. it well. But the problem with, you know, my the brand that existed before was that, you know, I, I had my own factory and we had 10 seamstresses um, that we have to pay every month and all these like designs that me and my husband we always had to come up with it was a lot of pressure yeah. a, a lot of pressure and a lot of people we needed to keep paying and I just didn't want that much pressure anymore and having the vintage brand would mean you know I get to shop for like cool clothes yeah and then sell them at like my own rate that's amazing love good vintage clothes yeah <laughs> um going back to lilac so before you had lilac mm -hmm. you had another pregnancy yes can you tell me a bit more about what happened yeah so i had a pregnancy and um we'd actually already well technically well to us it felt like we'd already gone you know past the three month mark um, so we'd started telling everybody already, but a week later when we went for our scan, uh, we had actually found out that um, the heart wasn't beating anymore, but I could still see the baby in the ultrasound. And it was like a shock because the doctor kept saying to me, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. And I was like, what's going on? And I remember looking at my husband and he's, I can see it's not registered. He's still smiling and he's looking at the screen, but I can see he's frozen, but he's smiling. And I'm like, babe, and I held his hand and he was like, hmm, what, what was that? And he's still smiling. I'm like, hey, this, this is not gonna happen. And that was when it really, you know, hit. And the doctor explained to us that it's called missed miscarriage. Is that um, he said that the baby had actually stopped growing at nine weeks, but by 13 weeks, that was when we discovered that. Um, so we'd actually gone so many weeks thinking it was still happening, yeah. but nothing was happening. Um, and I think that I found it really hard because obviously I spent like over a month still dreaming about it. Yeah, I can relate and I had three miscarriages last year. Oh, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. That's, uh, it's fine, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, first one, I didn't even realize I was pregnant. Right. It was a sort of very late, very heavy period. Uh -huh. Like I think a lot of women experience and don't even put two and two together. Yes, I have heard that. Um, second one, I knew I was pregnant and at the second blood test got told that within 24 to 48 hours, I was going to lose it. I see. And bled for about four weeks. Oh, that's And awful. then the third one was an accident in between two IVF cycles. Uh-huh. Got to seven weeks, um, did the blood tests, they were fine. Asked for an additional blood test because I now wanted to sort of pass that sort of, yeah. you know, threshold that the previous one had failed at. So yeah. I was like, I need one more blood test and then I can spend Christmas in peace. Yes. And at the third blood test came back that the levels were lowering instead of going up. Oh, and they I'm said, sorry. you're going to have another one. And, and that was at how many weeks? Seven weeks. Oh, wow. So the same point. And I remember just saying to my husband, because he had got excited at this one. And I mm -hmm. was very much like, no, I don't believe it until we see a scan. I don't believe it's going to mm -hmm. happen. 
And I remember just thinking, I can't believe it. I'm going to go through the same pain, the same Mm -hmm. physical pain. Mentally, I was just like, right, I just need it out of my body. It's done so that we can now go into our next cycle of IVF. I was like, this is now delayed a cycle of IVF. I know that feeling where you like, you just want to get back on track. You look at it in a very pragmatic way of, okay, this is now over. I need to move on. Mm -hmm. And... I know it upset my husband quite a bit because he had got excited about it. He calculated dates. And I think that's where you start to screw yourself over in a way because you start to think, oh my God, it's going to be like an April baby and this oh, yeah. and that. And, yeah. and, mm. and I just remember thinking, okay, the physical pain is going to be really bad. And the first two days, I could not leave the house. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to have any procedures done, right? Was it no, just natural? No, thank God. But okay. Because they said to me, look, you know, if within two, three weeks it's not gone by itself, mm-hmm. I had to go for regular scans and blood tests to check. I see. And the nurses, they go in, they see what's on the paper, and they're like, oh, congratulations, you're pregnant. Oh, God. And you're like yeah, I'm having a miscarriage. I keep coming in to check that it's going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it puts everybody in such an awkward position. Yeah, yeah. And I remember one day sitting on the toilet and huge pain, huge, huge pain. And then I stood up and I turned around and I saw something in the toilet. Mm-hmm. And the best way to describe it is like an oversized blood clot. But I remember just sitting down and thinking, oh my God, that's it. And I literally was sitting down on the side of the bath for about 15 minutes. Oh my God. Looking at it, thinking, do I touch it? Do I pick it out of mm-hmm. the toilet? Do, what do I do? What do? Yeah, yeah. And just sort of, I knew that that was it. Yeah. I can imagine you wouldn't reach for the flush. Well, it took like, me a time yeah. to sort of, you know, do I flush it straight away? No, I can't. And I sort of had to seeing it I sort of grieved it yeah and then once I was okay yeah it can go and I can get on with my life Mm -hmm. and at least this time it's been a lot quicker and Mm -hmm. a lot smoother yeah and then I flushed it down and then I remember thinking how am I going to tell my husband this without him thinking that I'm absolutely fucking insane right did you tell him yeah I did how did he take it? He just gave me a massive hug and asked me if I was okay. Mm-hmm. Which I think just shows what an amazing man he is and yeah. and how men nowadays are finally being more open about this. Yes. And he just asked me if I was okay, if I was still in pain. And that literally two days later, all bleeding stopped. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, yeah, that was it. And it was done and it was final and... We then went on to do two rounds of IVF and now we're waiting to implant our healthy embryos in the spring. But okay, good luck. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I understand that mm-hmm. feeling of you need that moment to like compute. Yeah, I think it took me a couple of weeks, obviously because uh, the, the baby had stopped growing at nine weeks for us. And at 13 weeks was when we just found out. And obviously it wasn't going to come out naturally. So did mm-hmm. they explain to you why nothing, why your body didn't mm-hmm. sort of Not reject really. it? No, they say that it's it's just called mis- miscarriage and, and it just doesn't come out for some reason. I was booked into like a DNC procedure uh, immediately. And I, I wanted it done immediately too, because like what you were saying, I just, you know, I was like, okay, this is not 
happening. I just wanna, I just Out. wanna get this done and get back on track. Like, let's get pregnant again. Yeah. Um, and I think I was very, yeah, like I don't know, logical about it or whatever. And I, I almost feel like my husband took it a lot worse than I did. Yeah, like I remember, you know, being rolled into the uh, surgery and just him standing in front of the door, just looking at me, and I can just see like he was broken up about it and I just remember like going in there uh, just worrying about him standing outside but of course two weeks later that was when it really hit me because I was like wait I don't have a baby growing inside me anymore and all the things that I've been planning you know for this coming year it's all out the window yeah and it's all like starting zero and I, I just couldn't I don't know, I couldn't accept it. And then I think that was when it really started to go downhill for me. Did you seek help? No, because I didn't think I needed help. I know that sounds really, I don't know, looking back now, I'm like, wow, I really needed help. Hindsight is a great thing though. (laughs) Yeah. And unless somebody that you truly trust tells you that, I mean, I, Mm -hmm. for the second miscarriage, which was the one that I was very aware of, I had a huge issue because I'm a control freak and I had really a lot of difficulty accepting that I couldn't control what was happening inside my body. Mm -hmm. And I would lie at night hugging my tummy, just like saying, please don't go, please hold on, please hold on, please hold on. Mm -hmm. And it's not until my family said to me, maybe just go and speak to somebody just to say how you feel about it and to help you deal with it which massively helped me and Mm -hmm. it's helped me with the following miscarriage that we had and going through the whole of IVF as well Mm -hmm. um I just I think sometimes we underestimate how much it can impact us for sure and I think um growing up in an Asian culture you're taught to sort of hide your feelings and put on a brave face and um and also there's like a taboo about seeing a therapist in Asia. Really? Oh yeah, um, there's a nickname for it in, in Thai. It's called like, you say, oh, you're going to see a crazy doctor. So that's why, you know, already the nickname itself is like, oh no, of course I'm not gonna go see a crazy doctor. Yeah. Like I'm okay. And um, like even a month or two after the miscarriage, and if I ever looked sad or, you know, if the depression suddenly hits me out of nowhere and my family goes, what's wrong? Are you okay? Why are you so quiet? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just, you know, it just hit me again or whatever. They're like, but it's been two months, you know, like they don't sort of understand the concept that like it could, it could be years and you could still feel it. Like I still feel it now sometimes like it does hit me. Um, But so after a little while of people sort of dismissing it, you learn that the next time somebody asks you, are you all right? why are you quiet? You just go, oh yeah, I didn't sleep very well last night. I'm just tired. Yeah, so you don't have to give any explanations. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit more. So you mentioned that there's a taboo about going to see somebody for help. Mm -hmm. But is there a taboo about miscarriages in Asia? Um, There is, and... um, Okay, where to start? <laughs> so I guess uh, when it happened to me, I felt like everybody just wanted to sweep it under the rug and not talk about it. Like nobody wanted to ask me about it. Nobody wanted to ask me how I was doing. And um, I almost feel like everybody wanted to pretend like I wasn't ever even pregnant. 
nobody wanted me to talk about it and I felt it's it's just so opposite to everything that I wanted to do because I feel like for me to pretend that it didn't happen would mean that I'm pretending this life didn't happen Mm. and this life did happen and like this life did mean a lot to me and to my husband and so I'm not gonna pretend oh no I've only been pregnant this one time and then I had my baby like I'm not gonna do that and I feel like it's not fair on all the other women out there that has experienced it and for me to lie about it so no I'm gonna say no I have had a miscarriage and I feel like women should speak about it. I've always been like not shy about it. And I wouldn't use euphemisms either. I wouldn't be like, oh, you know, that thing that happened two years ago, I don't say that. Yeah. I say, oh, when the miscarriage happened. Um, and for every time I say it, I feel more empowered. I feel more like I'm sort of like dealing with it yeah. rather than looking away. But every time I say that, um, or like if we're ever with like, you know, family out at a restaurant and I'm like, oh, you know, um, when the miscarriage happened and I can see all my cousins leaning and going, shh, oh, um, maybe they'll hear you. And I'm like, so let them hear, like they're strangers, I don't care. And being shushed or, I don't know, being made to feel like I shouldn't talk about it just felt wrong. And it made me feel very isolated. Or um, when it first happened, uh, some of, you know, my family or friends, the first question was, oh, what did you eat or what did you do? Like, it's it's a question of, oh, well, you must have done this, so what was it? Yeah, so you immediately feel blamed, even though I know it's not my fault because this yeah. stuff happens all the time. It happens all the time. And, you know, I mean, until I experienced mine, I never, ever thought it was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, when women go through miscarriage, oh, fine, you know, maybe, you know. I don't know, you bleed one day, two days, Mm -hmm. done. And it can't be that much of a deal. You know, these women that go on about it and everything. And I was like, ugh, hippy dippy crap. Mm -hmm. And then going through it, I realized very quickly that actually, A, I respect these women so much. And B, you have to talk about it. Yeah. It's this sort of weird taboo that women have imposed on themselves. Yes. And, you know, one in four women has a miscarriage that she is aware of. I know, yeah. that's A lot of them yeah. don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more and more women know that they're having a miscarriage because pregnancy tests can be taken so early on. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the olden days, you sort of waited until you'd missed three, four periods and then you were like, okay, I'm now pregnant. Yeah. More and more women know that they're having miscarriages. More and more women have them because of the lifestyles that we lead and the ages at which we get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand how still nowadays women just don't talk about this. I know, yeah. And the times when I have spoken about it with people, it has become a sort of, you're so brave to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not brave. It's not a question about being brave. It's a question of just talking about my experience yeah and somebody in the room will have been through it have Mm -hmm. their sister been through it have their best friend been through it have their brother's boyfriend or somebody that they know yeah has gone through it is going through it yeah and so many times now as well with the IVF I speak about it really fluidly and I just feel that men and women should be part of the conversation yes i agree i know that you know my miscarriages they're not just mine 
they're also my husbands. Yeah, I've always said that to my husband. I'm like, I can't believe how much you're being dismissed just because you didn't carry the baby. But like, you're just as crushed as I am. But even I think for me as well, it's when I've spoken about it with my husband, mm-hmm. he said that for him, it was nearly doubly hard because yes, he lost a baby, mm-hmm. but he was also so worried about me. Yeah. And I think for us as women, yes, we become very sort of matter of fact and logical. Mm -hmm. And okay, let's move forward with the steps of how to get back on track. And that's our sort of protection mechanism. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but the first miscarriage, at least, I completely forgot to ask my husband how he was for two days. Oh, I completely forgot Mm -hmm. because I was so upset and I was so disappointed with my body that Mm -hmm. why is my body doing this Mm -hmm. why can my body not keep this baby Mm -hmm. what is happening Mm -hmm. that took me two days to turn around and say to him are you okay Mm -hmm. I think with me it was a little bit different because like I said when we saw you know the still baby floating on the screen yeah and when I told you that it looked like it wasn't registering in his mind I I knew he was going to take it really hard. And my husband, he's a really, like... um, I feel like we share a lot of, like, emotional things together and we're really open in that way. And I know he's, like, quite... You know, he's not, like, a guy where he shuts off or whatever. And so it's it's easy for me to be like, hey, oh, my God, are you okay? And um, But, yeah, just seeing the look on his face, I knew he wasn't going to be okay. And so from then on, I was always like, are you all right? Are you all right? And like I said, when I was getting wheeled into the surgery, I was like, are you all right? So, yeah, I feel like it was easier almost for me to focus on if he was all right rather than thinking if I'm all right. Yeah, I can understand that. Who helped you deal with your grief the most? My husband. Like I said, we share everything together and we're so open to each other about our feelings and where we're at emotionally and definitely like I couldn't have done it without his support. Are you both in a good place now? Yes yeah but I think maybe you've been picking it up like at you know points where I'm talking about it I do get emotional still yeah but yeah you know it'll, it'll always hit you to a certain extent. I think you know I, I've come to accept that Every step of this is part of the journey of building a family. Mm -hmm. And I very much believe in destiny Mm -hmm. and things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I also think that these things, as hard as they are, they can also bring you together very much so. Yeah. And I know that for me and my husband, it's made us a lot stronger. Yeah. And a lot more. We've always been a team anyway. Yeah we're a very strong team now yeah I agree it's it's the same way with us I think that was you know how we came to the decision to close our brand because now that we have our baby I'm like I don't want anything else but to just be with her and are there any Thai traditions that need to be honored when miscarrying or losing a child well I don't know if it's a tradition since everybody is sort of very hush hush about it yeah um but for me i wanted to do something i'm I'm actually not religious but i grew up buddhist but when this happened it was just so i felt like i had no closure 
Um, and so I wanted to do something. And so I called my mom and I was like, you know, I want to do something, but I don't know what because I'm not religious. I was like, can you tell me what I'm supposed to do? And she took me and my husband to like a local temple and then we did a little ceremony there. And that felt like closure. Because of your prior pregnancy, did you ever feel concerned or worried when you were pregnant with Lilac? Yeah, I feel like I spiraled into this black hole of depression. When I first got pregnant, I was, well, as in when I first got pregnant again, I was so excited but so terrified at the same time and I didn't know how to feel. And I kept telling myself, no, no, don't feel bonded to this baby because you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, I just remember becoming obsessed with getting ultrasounds because the last time, you know, we got a scan at nine weeks and two days later, the, stop heart, uh, the heart stopped beating. So I was like, I can't, I can't trust it. I could go home and something could happen and I wouldn't even know it. I wouldn't bleed, I wouldn't feel pain, I wouldn't mm. know it. And so we went to like a private hospital and paid for scans literally weekly. I did it every single week, starting from four weeks. And I did it all the way up to 12 weeks because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. I was just thinking, oh my God, is the heart still beating? Is the baby still alive? Um, And it just consumed me. I can understand that though, because I know that when I got pregnant again and we had the last miscarriage, I was just very... You know, for me, it was with the blood tests. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, I want to do another blood test and another Mm -hmm. blood test. And I want to see the levels keep going up. And then I was Googling like an absolute insane person to check that. that what was coming back on the blood test results was good for the number of weeks that I should be pregnant Mm -hmm. and that it was equivalent and that it wasn't dropping too low because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to completely bombard my doctor and seem like a crazy person. But then I kept thinking, oh my God, is this stress bad for the baby? I got like that. And then should I maybe just relax? But I can't relax because last time it didn't work out. Yeah. And then with the fact of it not having worked out yet another time, Mm -hmm. I'm now sort of, yes, these miscarriages have taught me a lot about myself and my relationship, etc. But they've also robbed me of any initial excitement and happiness that I will have the day I do have a pregnancy that works. Yeah. I'm okay with that now. Initially made me a bit sad. But now I'm like, for me, the threshold isn't even three months anymore. For me, the threshold is I will not buy a single thing or prep anything at all until I'm at least six months pregnant. Yeah, I, I feel you. And But I can tell you right now, when I was pregnant with Lilac, I had a really bad time because of all of this worrying. And even when I got to six months, I didn't stop worrying. And then I just feel like, oh my God, I am literally being robbed of being that glowing, happy, pregnant lady. I just felt miserable all the time and then worrying about worrying and everything like that or worrying about, oh, did I, you know, take the stairs too many times or did I blah, 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 all the silliness. But now looking back on the pregnancy, I actually remember only good things. So I don't know, maybe you're not completely robbed of it because you will look back with fun memories. Do you think you'll be more relaxed for the next pregnancy? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I keep 
thinking about that actually and I'm terrified to be pregnant again at the moment just because I oh yeah so all the depression actually because me too I'm a control freak and after the ultrasounds and everything and then we got through the three months I developed like really crazy germophobia because I just thought you know everything or anything could hurt this baby and like we have dogs and I'm like oh my god if I pick up their crap I need to like wash not just my hands but like my arms like it just got really crazy and got really out of hand because I'm thinking oh if I pick up their crap and then I don't wash properly I'm gonna go and eat something and then I don't know something could happen to the baby there could be like infections or bacteria or something and then obviously I googled too much and when you google too much you're always gonna find bad things yeah yeah and so all these people were saying oh you know if you own cats or dogs bloody blah, blah you could you know put your baby in jeopardy because of all these diseases and I was like Ugh. and then that developed into like food scares like uh, I had a really weird thing with raw vegetables because of E. coli and it just didn't make sense but I was scared of everything like literally everything and every day I was in tears over washing my hands I was I was washing so much that I was just in tears standing by the sink just going I can't do this anymore but I gotta do this so that's why I'm like I'm not I'm not sure if I'm ready to be pregnant again because I don't know if it'll start that all over again are you still a germaphobe now I am and um I, according to my therapist, I'm always going to be this way now because, you know, now that the door has been open, yeah. you're never going to unsee it. But I am like 90% better. Okay. I mean, I did get to a point where I washed my hands till they were bleeding every day. Like it was just oh, mad. And I would wash my hair like three, four times a day. What? It was honestly, I was not living. And then it got to a point where I didn't leave the house for three months after the baby was born. I was that terrified and I don't think anybody ever knew how much of a bad time I was going through. My friends made fun of me because, you know, everybody thinks germophobia and OCD. Ha ha, it's a joke. It's funny. But like nobody had a clue that I honestly was living like a nightmare. That's amazing, though, that you've got better and that it's clearly at a manageable point. But only because I sought help. Yeah, but it's also important that you admitted it, first of Mm -hmm. all, and then sought help because I think there's a big thing about anything that is like this that you don't want to transmit it to your children. Mm -hmm. You don't want to find your little girl who's nearly two washing her hands constantly, constantly, constantly because mommy does it. Yes, but you know that's why I sought help immediately as soon as I realized this was a problem because I'm like you know I have time now she is not old enough to really copy me too much yet so I was like I need to deal with this stat because I want to be I don't know normal to her and finally if you could give our listeners a piece of advice on dealing with loss particularly miscarrying what would it be be kind to yourself it is not your fault It happens, honestly, so, so common. As soon as I started talking about it, even though everyone was telling me to shut up, but as soon as I started talking about it, I would say it in front of my family. I would say it in front of my friends. And I actually lost a lot of work over it. I'm an influencer, so like I used to get invited to all of these like lunches uh, by these agencies and everything. But when I would go there, if I talk about this or they go, oh, 
I thought you were pregnant. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not anymore. I had a miscarriage. I remember everyone would sort of look awkward. And, and after that, I got invited less and less and less and less until eventually, like, it's like nobody wanted me around because That's I so had a miscarriage. Bad. Yeah, but um, at the same time, um, when people stop inviting me, after I would speak about it and I'm leaving the event or whatever, like, a person from the event would run after me and go, hey, can I speak to you? And they'll be like, oh, this happened to me, and I feel so alone. Can I get your number? Can we talk about this? I have no one to talk to. So, yeah, my only advice is do talk about it. I know it may be difficult, but talk about it because there are so many people out there that want to talk about it with you. Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly the same advice that I would give as well. Mm-hmm. And listen to people. Even even if you haven't yet been through it, listen, because I sometimes think if somebody had told me about it before I went through it, mm-hmm. I would have felt a bit more prepared. Yeah. I wouldn't have felt, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. It's time for the Bitchfire Round. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. And before we end, we have a Bitchfire question round. So we can dive straight into mm-hmm. it. So, dog or cat? Dog. Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Bath or shower? Oh, shower. ASOS or Zara? ASOS. Sweet or savory? Savory. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Winter or summer? Oh, summer. City or countryside? City. Vintage or new? Oh, both. Oh, I thought you would say vintage. Yeah, but both sometimes. <laughs> Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. And on that note, what is your social media handle? It's hey, it's nun, N-U-N. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for joining us today on Bonjour Bitch. It was an absolute pleasure to share Thank this chat so with much. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Speak soon, guys. Bye. Bye. Remember to tune in next Monday for a brand new episode and please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us out. We'll see you then. Au revoir, bitches. Bitches.